This podcast starts when I say, hey. Hey. Welcome to Arthur Read Between the Lines, the podcast where we revisit every episode of Arthur. That's Gab. And that's Line. Today we'll be covering season one, episode 14, which is Arthur the Wrecker and Arthur and the True Francine. We're going to talk about our memories of each episode, provide a synopsis of the episode, and discuss our favorite moments, first for one segment and then for the other. Let's get into it. This is a good one today. Season one is full of really iconic episodes. It really is. And uh, this is definitely one of the one of the more fun ones that we've covered so far. Both segments, I really like. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler alert, I really like this episode. Damn. So, you're going to start us off today with Arthur the Wrecker. The Wrecker. A bit of a misleading title. I agree. The title is quite I think the vague. titles for both segments are a bit misleading. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the second one later. Mm-hmm. This one I just find to be quite vague. It doesn't give you a good idea of what the episode is going to be about at all. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess I'll synopsis. Yeah. Go ahead. Take us. Orient us in the space. So then we may have discourse. Okay. Well, the episode begins with the cold open where Arthur is extolling the virtues of various things that have been broken by kids over the years. Well, things he presumes were broken by kids. Things, yeah. They're definitely broken, may or may not be by kids. Yes. Yeah, it turns out this is all a flimsy defense for his breaking of the kitchen window. <laughs> <laughs> So the episode, the real episode begins, and Arthur's got this game from the brain. A computer game. Yeah, and he wants to play it on the computer. He's, like, obsessed with this game, and so is everyone else. Like, Buster's obsessed. Mm -hmm. Because apparently, if you you get this thing, you can win lots of money. Prizes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. It's like Buster's brother's... No, it Buster's? was Buster's cousin's friend's brother allegedly, allegedly reached the thing and it gives you a phone number to call uh-huh. and then he won a bunch of stuff. And he had to swear in blood never to. In blood. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so Arthur really wants to play this game, uh, but the problem is his mother has to work on the computer and it's tax season. We hate tax we season. We hate tax season in the Reed house. Because Jane Reed is famously an accountant, in case you listeners didn't know. Yeah. So at one point, Mom goes to work, and the computer's left unattended. But she says, Arthur, don't play on the computer. That was her mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving it unattended for even one moment. And of course, they play on the computer. Somehow they, they break it, the screen goes all black, and they're super worried they're going to have to live on the street because... <laughs> Mom's gonna lose her job. DW in particular immediately goes to the worst case scenario. Yeah. In the end, Arthur admits that you know he played on the computer without permission. He kind of broke it. But the mom's uh, it was a simple problem. They just had to jiggle the switch. And the Apparently, it back. happens all the time. Yeah. So. And then the computer game claims a new victim. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In the in the final seconds of the episode, we just hear. From this beautiful shot of the outside of their house that night, and we hear the mom, like, muttering at the computer about, <laughs> Snakes, wait, I've almost made it to the treasure chest. <laughs> yeah. That's the synopsis. Do you remember anything from this episode? I mentioned to you before we started recording, I had this episode confused with another computer-themed episode of Arthur for a minute. So as I was watching this episode, I forgot how it was going to play out. And I forgot that the resolution was going to be just a matter of jiggling the switch. All that to say, I didn't have a ton of memories. I just, yeah, I got I got all turned around. Mm. <laughs> what about you? I remember the video game. Like Did the, you? You remember, like, the... The scene where the diver... Di- the, 
You mean the character that you Yeah, the as? character is... It's, is, I guess, a diver, because it's just a little guy with a little ray gun yeah. of sorts. It's like 10,000 like Leagues a, Under the Sea. Yeah, like one of those classic old-timey diving helmets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the scene where he's just walking along the bottom. It seems to be all that you... This game... Okay, I'm going to say it right now. This game does not look that fun. No, but in in the 90s? Yes. In the 90s. Oh, <laughs> That's, that's it, it doesn't take much no. you know computers are new we are not so irony poisoned not so <laughs> jaded there's joy in our lives computers are a, a frontier of new hope exactly not now no not now yeah i'm sorry to sorry to be raining on the parade here okay can we talk about the cold open <laughs> i want to talk exclusively about the cold open <laughs> the cold open is so good it is it a hits, work of art it hits all the right beats it's so funny they could have ended the episode right there right there I yeah i would have been happy <laughs> uh-huh all okay. right so yeah one. so as you mentioned arthur is saying that you know a lot of iconic moments in history were a result of kids breaking things and we flash back to a few different scenes of what arthur imagines happened now the first one is Tut Arthur. Yes, in, in the, ancient Egypt. And he's what was he playing with? It looked like a cricket bat. Some kind of ball. Yeah, I don't know what sort of games existed back then. And he breaks the nose off the screen. <laughs> but even before then, it's so funny. As soon as we we fade into the dream sequences of ancient Egypt, there's Arthur and his two parents who walk into frame, pose, Egyptian style. Yeah, they pose like as hieroglyphics, walking like an Egyptian with their arms up. It's so funny, like facing sideways, yeah. the way that hieroglyphs do. And then, I like the second one the most. Yes. In ancient Greece, Arthurius <laughs> is yes. playing with the discus. His father, Fotherius, sorry, <laughs> is a sculptor who's trying to sell a sculpture to an old ancient Mr. Haney yeah. in a toga. Oh but this sculpture is of, I think it's the Venus de Milo. Is that what that statue is called? I think so. Okay. But it's holding a baby who has the face of DW. <laughs> And Mr. Rainey takes one look at it and says, no, sorry, I don't like it. And then Arthur's Arthur's playing with his discus, and somehow the discus cuts the arms off the statue. And Mr. Rainey says, I'll take it! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. That has all of the elements of a quintessential Arthur dream. It throws shade at DW, (laughs) and it positions him as the hero. (laughs) And then the final one is in colonial America, where a little Arthur in a three-corner hat is flying a kite, (laughs) presumably because Arthur's Benjamin Franklin in this imagining. He runs headfirst into the Liberty Bell and cracks it. (laughs) Oh boy. I didn't know what that bell was. It's the Liberty Bell. Now I know. Did you have to look it up? No, I didn't. I just assumed it was a famous bell, but I didn't live in America, so I wouldn't know. Brag, I lived in America. Yeah, I went through a colonial phase where I thought that, like, that sounds bad. That sounds like a colonized country. (laughs) No, I went through a phase when I was a kid in which I thought that that era of late 1700s New England was, like, super cool. But it's really because I had the American Girl doll who was, like, from that time, Uh, like, and she came with a horse. So that's really probably why I thought Colonial Williamsburg was cool. Yeah, so Cold Open is one of the best ones one we've of the seen best, so far. Probably the best Cold Open. Oh! Ever. 
I would say it's the best. Them's fighting words. Maybe at the end of the season, we should do a ranking yeah. of the cold opens. Oh we can God. do like a little best of for yeah, the yeah. season. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Listeners, if you think that sounds cool, then let us know. I want to get more emails. <laughs> <laughs> DW was definitely a ride in this episode from the beginning of uh, the opening after the title card plays, she and mom and baby Kate are walking home and she says, mom, can we play kitchen? Mom says, what's that? And she said, it's a game where I give you ingredients and you make cookies. Then I eat them. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play that game too. Me too. Sounds like a good We game. should play that game, All but right. we have to, we're going to have to fight over who plays which part. We could just find a third party. I know many people who would like <laughs> to make cookies. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, also, this is one of the first episodes where um, the mom has a big role. That's true. And I mentioned that she is famously an accountant, but I don't know if we actually knew that, if that had come up. I don't up. think it's been explicitly said. Yeah, there was an episode where she had to go to work, because we were talking about her suit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's looking very prim. Yeah, but I don't think we said they said anything about her job. I don't even think they explicitly said what her job is mm -hmm. in this episode, just that she has to do tax things. Yeah, so we're assuming. Yeah. I think she's an accountant. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about when Arthur <laughs> falls into the abyss of video game addiction? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. As we are now on break, it's a little, it's a little close to home. On break from? School. Playing video games many days. Uh, well, maybe for some of us. Okay. That's why I said it hits close to home. Here, here, let, let's let's compare and contrast Arthur's video game phase to real life. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten your hand stuck in the position <laughs> around your mouse such that you cannot pry the mouse out of your no. palm? God. Because Arthur did. <laughs> Listen, when I play video games, I take frequent breaks. I stretch and stuff. Wow, you're That's the paragon good. of health. I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I've seen his face before. So you've never been asleep um, with your pet <laughs> sleeping at your side and then started clicking on, sleep clicking on their head, muttering no. to yourself about <laughs> treasure chests? No. Because Arthur did. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, it's so easy to get obsessed with something as a kid, though. Like, when the mom was like, oh, you can't play today, I have to do taxes. Uh, Arthur and Buster just sat on the lawn. They didn't know what to do with themselves. They completely forgot every single thing that's ever brought them joy. Yeah. Dad says, why don't you go for a bike ride? And they're like, what's the point? <laughs> if I can't play Deep Dark Sea. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really funny and very true to 90s culture and early internet culture that this urban legend of mm. the mysterious thing you find yes. had permeated into Elwood City. And all of these kids, well, not all of them, at least Brain Buster and Arthur, were so invested in something that probably doesn't exist. Oh, definitely doesn't exist. <laughs> but that's what keeps you hooked, right? Just the the possibility that you could get there. Yeah. Let's talk about when they break the computer. Yeah. Let's talk about them freaking out. All right. When they're breaking it, why are they fighting over the mouse? I don't know. Arthur would have clicked it. I don't know why Buster had to lunge in there yeah. and grab the mouse. If Buster hadn't have lost his cool... None of this would have happened. They wouldn't have knocked the computer, and yeah. it would have been fine. It was the dream of that treasure. Yeah, it got them all frenzied. Yeah, it does things to people. Mm -hmm. And then the panic continues because DW immediately... Loses her mind. Yeah. 
she's convinced they're gonna end up on the street. Mom's gonna lose her job, then we're gonna lose the house. Maybe a rich family will adopt me. <laughs> yeah. I love how dramatic she is. I was once a little girl with anxiety, too. Yeah. I don't think it was that funny, but, like, I, w- I like to imagine it was. Oh, DW always sounds melodramatic, though. Yes. I love her for it. And then their immediate solution is to go find the brain. Because the brain would know how to fix computers. He's brainy. Somehow they traipse across the entirety of Elwood City. Like, they went to a lot of locations. That would have taken hours. It really would have. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, how long was mom gone? Yeah, exactly. They went to the library and the science center, which I can't imagine is very close to their residential neighborhood. And... To the observatory. Yeah, and then somehow they found him in a random park and dragged him away. (laughs) Just running up to the top of that observatory hill must have taken at least 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, well, a little bit of suspension of disbelief. I know. I thought that was a funny inclusion, though, just to say that they couldn't find the brain at any of these brainy places. And they're like, what's another brainy place where the brain would be? (laughs) And they find him skipping rocks in the stream. They assume he's doing a physics experiment. And he said, I'm skipping rocks. It's fun. Listen, the real lesson here is that people are not just their persona. Yeah, exactly. People do contain multitudes. The brain can enjoy simple pleasures And then be abducted to go fix a computer. (laughs) Just to tell them that he had no idea what was going on. Yeah, all that for nothing. That entire sequence, I guess, was just wedged in there to provide a nice little, like, sub-lesson of don't judge a book by its cover. People contain multitudes. Um, Yeah, because he gave up immediately. He did not know what was going on in that computer. (laughs) Yeah. And then mom comes home and they... (laughs) Arthur and Buster's like, nice knowing you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Buster and Brain immediately hit the road. Buster does not take responsibility. Uh-huh. Arthur says, I'm going to go upstairs and pack. I mean, do my homework. <laughs> Fully expecting to be thrown out on the street. Yeah, and there's a weird imagining sequence where Arthur asks Pal, what's going to happen to me? This one's so funny. <laughs> and he imagines himself as a dog. No, Pal imagines this. That's oh, why oh. this is it. Because Arthur tells Pal, I did something bad. What do you think <laughs> is going to happen to me? And so Pal's little thought bubble appears above his head. And he imagines what would happen to Arthur. As a dog. <laughs> as a dog. With a little collar. And Actually, no, how do we explain this? Because in the dream sequence, Arthur is not a dog. Arthur is still a boy, but because Pal is a dog and familiar with dog punishments... Maybe we should env- try this again. He envisions Arthur... Oh my god, how do we explain this? This is so hard to explain if you're not seeing it. You're right, okay. Pal envisions Arthur being punished as if Arthur were a dog. Exactly. Because Pal only knows dog, dog punishment. punishment. <laughs> So Arthur Arthur has a collar on and he's shut out of the house. And one of the first thing is the mom is standing over him waving a newspaper <laughs> saying, bad Arthur, bad boy. <laughs> and then he's locked out of the house and he paws at the door. And he's whimpering, but he's just, he's a boy. <laughs> but he's also a dog. Oh my goodness. I love that. I forgot that happened. I don't know if there's, there's like other moments like that in Arthur. I because there are. often... The kid, like, kids will imagine things happening, of course, based on their own experience. And here we see the dog imagining, based on his experience, what happens... Everyone contains multitudes. ...when someone does something bad. Everyone contains multitudes. That scene is so funny. Yeah. 
And so eventually tells mom, and the mom says this cliche line, I'm not mad, just disappointed. Oof! <laughs> really cuts right to the heart, but it's it's warranted. Yeah. But they're they're all cool. Yes, and mom is very loving. She's stern, obviously, like she's honest that she's disappointed and says you're grounded or no no computer no for computer a while. For a week. And then uh, and then she's like, hmm, how do you play this game? And she's gone. She's a goner. And so tax season suffered that year. Yeah. <laughs> they really did lose the house after all. Oh my god. <laughs> So this was an episode full of really funny bits, yeah, really well animated really bits. A few other um, just tiny moments that were standouts. When they're looking for the brain in the library, Binky is there reading oh, a yeah. book. And he sees him out of the corner of his eye and quickly like slides a comic in front of it or something. <laughs> he so. can't be caught reading. Exactly. It would ruin his reputation. <laughs> And another really good moment was a line that DW had when she was initially freaking out, when she said, Kate will get ammonia and we'll all starve! (laughs) (laughs) What would you rate this episode? Nine. Yeah, I agree. Solid nine. It's a strong one. It's a good one. No need for further discourse, I guess. No, it just was. It was good. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to segment 14.2. Yay! (laughs) Arthur and the True Francine, which is a misleading title a very misleading because title. Arthur is barely in this episode. Yeah. He has maybe two lines. Yeah, you're right. Actually. Also, this episode's not about Francine. It's about Muffy. Yeah. What both, the heck? Both titles were misleading. Okay, but this one even... Is okay, more, much the, more The first one, Arthur the Wrecker. Arthur did wreck something. In the okay, episode, he, wrecked, he said like, he wrecked it. Thing. He wrecked one thing, but then that was the conflict for the whole episode, was that he wrecked it. Fair. They could say Arthur the Gamer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Such terminology was not available uh, yeah, back then. Yeah, it was not within the lexicon. But here, Arthur and the True Friend scene... Arthur is not in it. Yeah. Francine is also not the one who's who is the true or not true. It's it's a, it's really a muffy centered narrative. Yeah, it's very muffy centered. So we'll get well, you'll see. Well let's let's synopsis let's get it into right it. now. The cold open of this one is another interesting one. It starts with Francine sneaking into Arthur's window and stealing socks out of his room without him noticing. It was very heist worthy. It was. Yeah. Pal noticed her and almost got her caught but well, Arthur was, was a distraction Arthur maybe. was too oblivious yeah. yeah and she brings the socks back to her apartment where she has a bunch of the girls from school over for a slumber party playing truth or dare yes so that was the dare that Francine did very impressive very impressive and then it's Muffy's turn and she picks truth so Fern asks her have you ever told a lie and Muffy goes off into a fit of righteous indignation, lamenting how, I've never told a lie. Do you have any idea how offensive it is to me, to my family, how we've suffered for our principles? (laughs) And Francine's giving her this look. And finally, when Muffy pipes down, Francine says, don't you remember what happened when you first came here in the second grade? Oh boy. And then we get into that story. Yep. Starts off in their second grade classroom, where their teacher, Mr. Marco, introduces Muffy as the new student. She um, quickly establishes herself as an insufferable, prim and proper, pompous little child. (laughs) Shows a very long video about her family's history to introduce herself. 
it's very clear that she's kind of full of herself and a little bit spoiled. Buster immediately does not like her. But Francine, on the other hand, is very interested in making friends with her. They, The two of them hit it off immediately. Their best friendship is cemented when they realize that they have the same middle name and the angels cry. Yeah, that's it. They're best friends forever then. What do you think? If we had the same middle name, do you think we'd be best friends? We're not in the second grade anymore. <laughs> We're also not both little girls. What does that have to do with anything? It just feels like a very, very little girl thing to do. You're right, it really is. I want to say it's not, but... But it is. It is. I was a little girl, and I could imagine Like I'm pretty sure I've seen this exact scene play out before. In real life? Yeah. Like, like two people just being like, Whoa, we have this in common. We're best friends forever. And the angels cry. (laughs) And the angels continue. They weep. (laughs) So, as best friends, Muffy invites Francine over to her giant mansion. Francine's, of course, kind of swept away in the glitz and glamour of it all. But Francine still keeps her head about things and points out that they have a math test coming up. Mm. But Muffy says, I don't need to study. At my old school, I taught math. Mm-hmm. But it's clear by the way she's talking that she doesn't have any idea what she's talking about. <laughs> it's clear to us, the audience, that she's probably lying. The other thing that happens at the house is that Muffy gives Francine this bracelet that she claims she got from a cannibal in and Antarctica. It's one of a kind. She says that, and, and then, then she says, "You can have it. I have another one." <laughs> just like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Can you see, as an audience member, how perhaps Muffy is? Prone to fibbing. Yeah. The day of the math test comes, Muffy and Buster um, are obviously not prepared because they've been kind of goofing off, having fun. Francine, though, has studied and she does well. But the teacher notices that Francine and Muffy, their tests look identical. So obviously someone copied off the other, but Muffy says it's not her. So Francine gets punished. Francine is very heartbroken and says, you gave me this bracelet. I thought it meant that we were friends, but what now I'm supposed to take the blame for you just because you can't take being called a a cheater. That's what you are because Francine is punished. She is not allowed to participate in the softball game against mighty mountain. Mighty mountain. Who will clobber Lakewood elementary. But in the final inning, Muffy confesses to the teacher that it was her fault. So she gets Francine put back into the game. They don't win, obviously, because they were already down by 12 runs. But they at least score a couple of runs and Muffy and Francine make up. Yay. Yes. (laughs) So what did you remember from this episode? Um, not much, to be honest. I think like a few little glimpses from oh that that scene where she opens the door into the room of toys. Yes. That always can confuse me as a kid. I don't know. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like spatially. Yeah. 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 It's a very. It's a big room. Big. It's a lot of toys. <laughs> the scenes in Muffy's house definitely stuck out to me. I think as a kid, when you see a house like that, just like all of your wildest dreams it's true. are ignited. Yeah. <laughs> Muffy has. I don't know if that was supposed to be her bathtub that she was talking about, but it's like a fountain fountain that you can swim in. It's that big. And they found a starfish? Yeah. That was weird. I don't know how it got the bottom of the fountain. I don't know. Her house fulfills all of my kid dreams of what it would be like to be rich. Yeah. A whole lot of toys, um, a limo. They do wheels, wheelies. James the chauffeur does a wheelie in the limo. 
the limo just like bends upward. <laughs> it deflects upwards in a way that should not be structurally possible. Definitely not possible. <laughs> James is a magician though. Yeah, he is. Never says a word. He doesn't have to. <laughs> the performance speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help but be a party pooper as this episode opened because they're in the second grade. Binky. But Binky's there. Yeah, I was going to say it. Yeah, because we talked about this in Arthur's in the first episode, right? Wasn't Binky in their class? Yeah, exactly, when Arthur got glasses. Yeah, but Binky allegedly failed the third grade. So yeah, he shouldn't, so he be, shouldn't there. be there yet. And Arthur did have glasses in that thing too. But that I could let slide because we don't know at what point in the school year Arthur got glasses right. or when Muffy um, came to school. So it could be so that Arthur got glasses in the second grade and then Muffy came to the transfer to their school later. That's fine. That's fine. I'll allow it. <laughs> but Binky, but being Binky there, should not be there. That's an anachronism. I don't know why he was even there. He doesn't have any lines. Like they could have easily put in another stock character just to fill that one table in that first opening yeah. shot. Yeah. So, it's a little bit disappointing. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm not mad. Just disappointing. <laughs> it's like callback. I really like this story. I think it's it's very true to life, especially, I think, in in girl friendships that you get a lot of lying, you know? Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of examples from my own personal childhood. Like, for, for sorry, from my own personal friends. But it's something that... I remember hearing a lot about around school, like there was a lot of drama, not really in third grade, it gets really bad around fifth grade, oh. that just girls will just, they'll lie, they'll backstab each other, they'll talk behind their backs, and for what? Like for no reason, but it, it happens a lot. And yeah, it's it was really sad to see the way that Francine went through it, because of course, she really cared about Muffy. Muffy seemed to really, you know, want to be friends with her. And then to just be so carelessly tossed away as yeah. it uses a scapegoat. The rug just pulled out. Especially because Francine tried to help, well, maybe not help her, but at least remind her, like, hey, yeah, we have the test. Yeah. There's a particular, like, music motif, musical motif that they use in, like, sad moments. Yeah. And that they play it when Muffy is talking to the rest of the kids about how Francine can't play in this ball game, but Muffy says, oh, I won tons of softball blue ribbons, so you can count on me. As she locks eyes with Francine across the street, that's yeah. devastating. It was poignant. Yeah. So perhaps this episode isn't as fun and funny as the last one, but I will point out something funny. When Francine in, is in detention in that basement classroom, there's a poster in it the back. It says, read book. Read book. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny! <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess Muffy kind of learns her lesson, though. As we see at the slumber party, she hasn't really gotten over a few fibs. Yeah! There. So dramatic about I it, know. too. The audacity. But, but, like, once again, it's not, like, malicious. She didn't seem like she anticipated Francine to be so hurt. Hmm. It was just a classic case of. She only thought so far. She thought, I need to get a good grade on the test. And she, just none of the other consequences occurred to her. Yeah she, yeah. she wasn't trying to throw Francine under the bus. She just flat out didn't seem to think that far That's as true. to what would happen. No, this is, this is something a bit common with Muffy. Like, she doesn't think about things. She's a bit disconnected. 
in the real world. Yeah, which yeah. I mean, if you lived in a house like that, you would be too. I suppose so. Sorry to sorry to come for rich people. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not sorry. All right. Yeah, it really doesn't seem like Muffy minds either way. Like when she told Mr. Marco. And now she's getting punished. She didn't seem terribly upset about it. She was like, oh, yeah, this is this is unfair. Which, that's rich coming from her. <laughs> yeah. You think that's unfair? You literally deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> You're being punished in accordance with your actions. But she never seems strongly affected either way. Mm-hmm. Kind of like DW in the uh, previous segment where she was all melodramatic about being sent out on the street. And then it's resolved, and yeah, it's all she's better. Like, eh. Yeah. I do like the ending of this episode as well, where Francine tells Muffy that, that the kids agreed that she can be part of the team as scorekeeper, but that means she has to learn to add. And no cheating. And no cheating. Which yeah. was a good, solid ending for, I, th- I think it was a good way to wrap up that story. Yeah. And she's in Francine's bike basket. That was really cute. Was Francine cute. pulls up and says, you want to ride in my basket? Muffy looks a little skeptical. She keeps her eyes <laughs> shut the whole time. <laughs> and of course, um, our man James is following her in the limo. Yes, dutifully. What would you rate this episode? I would rate it like an 8.75. 7.5? Because I think there are other episodes we've given 8.5s. I like this one more. Oh, okay. But... I don't want to be so frivolous with my with your nines. points, you know, you know. Yeah. I was going to say 8.5. Okay. We have a small discrepancy. Yeah. No need for discourse. <laughs> I always I always like the Francine ones more, I feel like yeah. than you do because I like I and I really like it's exploring It's more relatable. For yeah, you. exactly. It's more relatable for me. And I really like exploring Muffy and Francine's friendship um and I'm excited to see I'm excited we got to see it. Because I think they have a very interesting dynamic because both of them get proud about things sometimes, but at the end of the day, they are very, they're like fiercely devoted to each other, Mm. but they have personality flaws that sometimes clash, clash. yeah. Yeah. And I do like how both segments today tied into the theme of honesty Mm, Indeed. and how admitting to your mistakes is ultimately the best thing to do. A form of growth. All right, and a happy new year to all of our listeners. We're happy that you're joining us in 2022, and we're happy to be here. And we've been doing this for like six months now. Yeah. Isn't that ridiculous? It is. And how many more years until we finish? Well, Elwood City Limits has been going for five years, and they're only halfway through the show. Okay, we only have another nine years and six months. (laughs) Well, that's it. That's all. We hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send us an email at arthurreadpod at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you in two weeks when we cover Season 1, Episode 15. In the meantime, have a wonderful kind of day.